Father, truly, you are everlasting and never failing. You are a faithful God, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. And even this week, we have been an unfaithful people. Each and every one of us have strayed. And yet the grace of God is even greater still. Even this evening, as we come to your word, as we uh, turn to Psalm 39, may your spirit work through the word. May you encourage us. May you challenge us. May you convict us. May you change us. May you work in each and every one of us for your glory. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 39, I invite you to join me there. We are back to our series in the Psalms. Dr. Rathbun stepped in very last minute for me uh, a few weeks ago. He had told me, he said, I've got, a, I've got a four-week series, or really, he did a whole semester on it, so he said, I could stretch it out however long you want, but I've got a series on the history of fundamentalism. If you ever need it, let me know. And I, I think it was that afternoon that I sent him a text, or that morning, I said, hey, remember when you said you had a series ready? <laughs> you want to start tonight? And he graciously did that. So we've looked at the history of fundamentals, a quick overview of the last four weeks, and now we're returning to our study in Psalm 39. The Psalms is, is, is a unique journey. As you, as you work your way through it, you kind of realize that, that the Psalms, it's almost like you're, you're, you're at times very just down in the dumps. David is dealing with some heavy, heavy things. And yet, while we work through this, and, and, and sometimes as you start looking at a psalm, you just feel depressed. My, my own sinfulness is so heavy upon me. I see this. I, I get this feeling that David has because I'm that way. And yet David always comes back to the greatness of God. And you, you go from these deep valleys dealing with very real practical things to the heights of the glory of God. And it's a, it's a journey, but it's a blessing as we work our way through the Psalms. And this evening, we come to Psalm 39. Join me, if you will, Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle, while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. Selah. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. 
Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. For I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. Psalm 39, even as we were reading it, you may may have caught the the feeling of it. It, it It is heavy. It is a personal lament as David is struggling with his suffering. The last several weeks have been kind of unique in the fact that I've had the the privilege to do three funerals. I'd only done two funerals before that. I've had the privilege to do three funerals. And and as I was talking to some other pastors and and getting some advice and, and we were talking about funerals, they all kind of echoed the same thought that I had. That I don't mind doing funerals. You see, funerals bring us face to face with our own mortality, the, the, the reality of death. It's right there in front of us. It's, it's easy in a funeral to talk to people about the gospel because everyone's mind is on death. And we're all going to face that. And, and we face that reality in a very real sense at a funeral. And just as funerals bring us face to face with our own mortality, so suffering brings us face to face with our own frailty. That's exactly what David is struggling with here in Psalm 39. In fact, the main idea of this psalm is basically life through the lens of suffering. Life through the lens of suffering. As you work your way through this, you see in verses 1 to 5, the frailty of man. Verses 6 to 11, the vanity of man. Verses 12 to 13, the utter dependence of man. And although not necessarily expressly stated in this psalm, to each one of those negatively stated points, there's a counter-truth. And the counter-truth is, in light of the frailty of man... There's the greatness of God. In light of the the vanity of man, in contrast to that, is the sovereignty of God. In contrast with the utter dependence of man, is the utter dependableness of God, the faithfulness of God. And the first thing we see is the frailty of man and the greatness of God, verses 1 to 5. We don't necessarily know the circumstances of Psalm 39. We know that David is struggling with something. He's in, he is in some heavy suffering. He's going through something. We don't know what. Later, it becomes clear that at least a part of this, as we see in verses 7 to 13, is a direct result of David's sin. But how much of it, we don't know. All we know is David is going through some very intense suffering. It starts out this way. I said, I will guard my ways 
lest I sin with my tongue. I'll restrain my mouth with the muzzle while the wicked are before me. David is going through a situation here. He doesn't understand. And yet even in this unnamed suffering, David recognizes the sovereign hand of his good God. In fact, in verse 9, he says expressly, I was mute, I did not open my mouth. Why? Because it was you who did it. I knew that it was you, God, who was doing this to me. And I think that's part of what David is really struggling with here. It's not just that I am hurting. It's not just that I am in pain. It's that I know that God is doing this to me. So we see David here in these first several verses struggling with this. He's holding it inside. He's bottling up his his thoughts, his feelings. He's not speaking of them specifically while the wicked are before me. He's careful almost to the point of, of, of giving of ignoring his suffering. He doesn't want to fall into more sin. He doesn't want to come to the point where where he's just complaining and he's falling into more sin. He's just heaping up more on top of more. He's holding this in. And he's struggling through it. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. Not only was he careful not to speak against God as he's struggling with this on the inside. He doesn't even speak good. He's just completely gone silent. My sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned and I spoke with my tongue. It comes to a point where it just bubbles up within him. He can't hold it in anymore and it overflows. And he bursts into prayer. Notice how how when David talks, he's talking to the Lord. He's held in his thoughts. He hasn't talked to others, specifically in in the midst of the wicked. And yet, now when it bursts up, he bursts into prayer. He's talking to the Lord. And this is what he says. Lord, make me to know my end. What is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Seems like an odd thing to pray. Open my eyes to my frailty. I want to know how frail that I am. David wants to see this life which is so burdensome, so heavy in the context of eternity. Let me see how frail I am. I'm struggling through this. But if I were to really grasp this, if I were to really see how frail that I am, how much time might I not waste How much sin and suffering might I avoid if I saw how frail this life is in light of eternity? It's similar to what Moses prays in Psalm 90, 12, where he says, teach us to number our days. David's kind of saying the same thing here, but he's saying it in the negative. 
Moses is saying, teach us to number our days so that we can make the best use of them. David here is saying the same thing just from a negative standpoint. I'm frail. Let me see how frail I am. Reveal this to me. if, If I could just have this in my mind, I would live differently. I wouldn't waste so much time. I wouldn't be so drawn to sin and to suffering. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths of four, four finger lengths, this very small but popular measuring unit. Very small, very insignificant. And my age is as nothing before you. It's as nothing before you. David sees his insignificance and the insignificance of his life in light of the greatness of God and of eternity. He comes to this conclusion. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor, which is here today and vanishes. Certainly every man at his best is but a vapor. It's a sobering thought. In fact, David stops there and he pauses and he reflects on that thought. Every man at his best is but a vapor. Life is frail. David's language here is very similar to Job. It's very similar to to, to Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Life is frail. It's but a vapor. In light of the suffering that David is going through, he needs that reminder. It's not about this life. This life is frail. This life is a vapor. And it is nothing before God who is great, before eternity, which is great. So the first reality that David sees here is the frailty of man. Life is frail. Man is frail. But God is great. Secondly, then, he sees the vanity of man. He goes on in verse 6, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they, they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches. He does not know who will gather them. Having reflected on this thought that every man at his best state is but a vapor, David comes to this conclusion He comes to see the foolishness of wasting a frail life on vain pursuits. This life is frail. I am frail. God is great. Eternity is great. I'm not going to waste this frail life that I have on these vain pursuits. I'm not going to heap up riches and, and then... I can't take them with me. How empty life seems when put up against a holy God, against eternity. And so that leads David then in verse 7, Now, Lord, what do I wait for? 
Why am I keeping silent? Why am I holding this inside? What am I waiting for? My hope is in you. My hope is not in riches. My hope is not in length of years. It's not in living a great life. My hope is in you. So deliver me from my transgressions. You can see the, the, the progression in David's mind. The frailty of life, the greatness of God. The, the foolishness of wasting a frail life on vain pursuits. And therefore, the foolishness of sin. And it leads him right to confession. Deliver me from my transgressions, my sins. Forgive me, God. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. I knew that the, the, the suffering that I am going through, I knew that it was you. Now it's important to understand here that David is not here blaming God for his suffering. He's saying it's you who've done it, who's done it, but he's not saying, therefore you're bad. Rather, David is here recognizing that his suffering is the result of his sin. And because God loves him, God could not and would not let him get away with it. He's come to realize how great his sin is in light of this great God. And therefore, God has done this to him. Because God cares for him. It's like the adult child who goes back to, to thank his parents later for tough love. Right? You, you come to see, like in that moment when you're a kid, it's not fun. You may not understand it. But when you grow up and you look back and you say, thank you, mom and dad. Thank you for, for not letting me get away with stealing. For not letting me get away with being mean. For not letting me get away with all these things. You did that because you cared for me. That's what David is recognizing here. That this great God has brought him into suffering not, not because God hates him, but because God cares for him. Having prayed for forgiveness and now having seen this, now David prays for relief. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth, surely. Every man is but a vapor. He comes again to the same thought. Every man is but a vapor. I am nothing before such a great God. We've seen the frailty of man and the greatness of God, and here we see the, the, the vanity of man. And yet the sovereignty of God. This God who has been sovereign even in the suffering that David is going through. That suffering is not being wasted. It's, it's for a purpose. David is recognizing that here. And then as you come to verses 12 and 13, see the faithfulness of God. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to my cry. Hear me and act. Take action for me. Don't be silent at my tears, for I 
I'm a stranger with you. I am a stranger. He goes on to say, I am a sojourner. David has, has, in the course of these reflections, come to see the holiness of God, the depth of his sin. And he feels his unworthiness very strongly in light of these reflections. He doesn't deserve God's favor, and, and he's very aware of this at this point. I'm a sojourner. I'm a stranger. I, I, I don't belong here. But you're a gracious God. You're a good God. So remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. The phrase, remove your gaze from me, is not David saying, I want nothing more to do with you, God. Go away from me. Turn away from me. Rather, it's David saying, turn your angry gaze away from me. Look on me once again with mercy. It's kind of a silly thing, but when I first read that, remove your gaze from me, my, my mind goes to uh, Toy Story. We watch a lot of Toy Story in our house because we've got kids. And uh, there's a silly part, and I can't remember which Toy Story it is, where Mrs. Potato Head is packing up Mr. Potato Head for a trip. And she's putting things in there, and she goes, I've got you monkeys, and, and here's your angry eyes. And she sticks his angry eyes in there. And the idea is when he's angry, he pulls his angry eyes out and puts them in, and he's showing his anger. It's a silly illustration, but I think it properly represents our view of God when we sin. How often do we think that God has put his angry eyes on toward us? He has changed his, his disposition. He's no longer for us, but God is against us. And then what David has come to see in this psalm and what we need to see. So often that we fail to understand that when we sin, it is not God who has turned against us, but it is we who have turned against him. It is us. We have chosen the fleeting pleasures of this frail life over and against the everlasting pleasures of God in eternity. It is we who have turned. It is we who have set ourselves against God. And that's what David sees in this psalm. Life is frail. But God is great. I am vain, and yet God is sovereign. And I am utterly dependent, and yet God is dependable. He is faithful. Psalm 39 is a very heavy psalm, but it's necessary. It deals with the reality of life. And it draws our attention to the even greater reality of eternity. Psalm 39 puts our suffering in its proper context. Without trivializing it. Psalm 39 opens our eyes to the reality 
that life is hard. And yes, suffering comes, but God is good and God is in control. And what God is doing in us, as Romans 8 tells us, the, the, the suffering of this life is nothing to be compared to the glory of heaven. Which leads then from Romans 8, 15 to Romans, uh, or 18 to Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. That good is not necessarily the things that I want. That's what God is doing in me in light of eternity. That's the very same thing that David is dealing with here. This suffering that I am going through, it doesn't feel good. I don't understand it. Part of it is a result of my sin. And yet in it, it is good because God is accomplishing his purposes in me. He's moving me along. So, I said the main idea of this psalm was life through the lens of suffering. And what is that? It is realizing that whatever I am in, whatever I am dealing with, it's not because God has turned himself against me. But it's because God is doing something in me. That is the mindset that we must have when suffering comes. Even when it doesn't make sense, and even when we don't know what God is doing, that's where faith comes in. Trusting that God is good. And I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust Him. Certainly, every man at his best state is but a vapor. God is great. God is sovereign. And God is faithful. So trust him. So, one thing we've been doing as we've been going through the Psalms is we try to take the, the truth that we've seen in the Psalm, the big idea, and then apply it to our prayers trying to, to help us, to teach us, to learn how to pray better, to pray scripture, to grow in prayer. So as we come to Psalm 39, there's a couple focuses we go to prayer. And the first would be this, confess your sin. If there's something in your life that you are, 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 are holding on to, if there is sin, start with that, confess your sin. But then secondly, as you go to prayer in whatever situation you find yourself this evening, praise the Lord. Praise your sovereign, merciful, good God. Realizing that whatever you're going through, God's doing something. God's doing something. And it may not feel like it, but it's for my good. So confess your sin and then praise God. And you can do that even as we pray for some heavy things. There are a lot of people in our prayer list who are going through some very heavy things. People who are facing death. People who are, who are going through cancer. People who have things that are coming up that are scary. And yet in each one of these situations for which we pray, God is good and God is at work and God has not lost control. 
and God is accomplishing his purpose. And so as we bring our prayer requests, and then as we pray our prayer requests, let us pray with that mindset. I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're good. And I pray that this would turn out. And I pray that you will give me grace, give me mercy, because I trust you. So let that be your mindset as we go to prayer. And I think are a little bit different to where we just have two or three men come up and pray. Um, but I, I hope that you pray along with us as we're praying, that you're not just sitting there thinking about dinner or tomorrow or something, but that you are engaged in prayer as well, praying along with the one who is praying, that we are all in participating in this prayer meeting. So uh, with that said, if I could have...